0: and welcome to the Movies Past and Present Podcast. It's February 28th, 2019, and this is episode 13. I'm your host, Stanford Clark, and I'm podcasting from the crossroads of the West in beautiful Solly City, Utah. Just like my blog, MoviesPastAndPresent.com, I'll be providing recommendations, commentary, and reviews about current and classic cinema. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get started. Okay, so new in theaters, this film actually opened up last week, it's How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, which is a sequel from DreamWorks Animation and from Universal Pictures. This is the third film in the How to Train Your Dragon series, and uh, what's going on with our, with our characters, uh, Hiccup, who is now chief ruler uh, of Berk, has created a gloriously chaotic dragon utopia. Uh, When the sudden appearance of a female light fury dragon, not to be confused with the night fury dragon that uh, Toothless the dragon is, when the light fury coincides with the darkest threat their village has ever faced, Hiccup and his dragon Toothless must leave the only home they've known and journey to a hidden world thought only to exist in myth. As their true destinies are revealed, dragon and rider will fight together to the very ends of the earth. To protect everything they've grown to treasure. So, uh, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, uh, reunites the uh, series director, Dean D- uh, Dubois. And also, the all-star cast returns, too. So, uh, it looks to be like just more more of the same for, for people who love this uh, series. So, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, is rated PG by the Motion Picture Association of America, for adventure action and some mild rude humor. Two new films this week of note. Uh, first, there's a documentary called Apollo 11. This is from Neon and CNN Films, and it, uh, it made its debut at Sundance, the Sundance Film Festival, uh, earlier this year. And it, it's made from a newly discovered trove of 70 millimeter film footage that was captured of of this Apollo 11 mission. And also they use more than 11,000 hours of, of audio recordings. And so it just, this documentary takes us right to the heart of NASA's most celebrated mission. It's the one that first put men on the moon and forever made Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, um, household names, and uh, anyway, it looks like a really cool experience with with some really beautiful film footage capturing that momentous day in 1969 so uh anyway it's going to be an imax for at least for for its first week it's saying and that might vary you know market to market i know that it's an imax this weekend and i'm going to plan to see it uh in 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 local imax theater on saturday so uh, apollo 11 is rated g by the motion picture association of america And as I said, it's an IMAX for a limited time, so check your local listings, because that's probably gonna be a really cool way to experience it. All right, then next up is Greta, which is a suspense thriller from Focus Features. It's directed by the Irish director Neil Jordan. It tells the story of a young woman named Frances, played by Chloe Grace Moretz, um, who's a sweet, naive young woman trying to make it on her own in New York City. francis doesn't think twice about returning a handbag that she finds on the subway to its rightful owner and that owner is a woman named greta played by isabel hubert who's an eccentric french piano teacher um who uh has got some i think some pretty evil motives so uh greta looks super creepy and uh, i'm gonna pass but uh Uh, you know, it also could be uh, for an exciting time at the movies. So Greta is rated R by the Motion Picture Association of America for some violence and disturbing images. So those three films, we've got How to Train Your Dragon to the Hidden World, Apollo 11, and Greta, now playing in theaters. I'm combining the reviews and Classic Cinema Corner segments this week. Uh, first up, did you watch the Oscars last Sunday? Uh, I hope you're able to watch it and, and hope the films you were rooting for uh, won or that you just at least enjoyed <laughs> the kind of craziness of the whole of the whole thing. Uh, normally, I, f- I fill out a ballot whether I'm going to a party or not, and I really fuss over it. I want to make sure I see as many of the films as I can and do all this research. And I just, you know, I mean, I think there is this competitive streak in me. I want to win. I want to make sure that I, I uh, ace the Oscar ballot. And I got to tell you, I've, I, I, I've been burned so many years. Because, you know, who can pr- you can't predict. Some of this stuff is it, 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 pretty logical. But then this is not a, a logical organization, and and crazy things happen and why should i beat myself up over not doing as well on a ballot of something that honestly i have no control over so uh, this year i scrapped doing a ballot and i just watched and i just watched it and just and just enjoyed the show as it as it uh kind of unraveled <laughs> or just as it went forward uh, and i have to tell you that my experience was infinitely better So I think that's what I'm going to do from here on out. Even if I do get invited to a party where you got to fill out a ballot, I'm probably, you know, maybe I'll do it, but I'm just, I'm just going to kind of not really care. Uh, I enjoyed it so much more. Uh, the uh, The winners were, I think, some were expected and some, some weren't. I think a big upset was was uh, in the Best Picture category. The film Green Book won. And if you listen to my podcast, you know, the Green Book was a film that I, I, I thought was really solid and just solid entertainment and also a thought-provoking, interesting film. Uh, there's been quite a bit of backlash about it for, for any number of reasons. I think part of it is just because there were a lot of white guys that worked on the film and, um, you know, white men are kind of the persona non grata uh, today. And and I think some of us deserved, and also some of it is just like they were white fil- filmmakers working on this project. So anyway, I hope you can put some of that aside, go see the movie, and make and make up your own mind about what you what you think about it. Because I thought it was I thought it was a solid uh, piece of work. Uh, a lot of Best Picture candidates are still in theaters, so so. Uh, you know, check your local listings for that, and uh, I think some films like Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse might have upped up the number of screens that it's playing on, so you can see that one on the big screen too. But anyway, Oscars uh, uh, always interesting, <laughs> never rarely, rarely a dull moment, and and uh, you know. If you haven't, if you've if you've if you've never tried it, Ballotless, <laughs> or or if you want to try it, I highly recommend it. I think you'll enjoy it better. All right. Next up is is just a quick report on my TCM Essentials project. You know, I'm I'm watching 52 movies this year that are listed in a really great book that Turner Classic Movies put together a couple of years ago called The Essentials. And uh, they Worked with a writer named Jeremy Arnold. And the book is very well researched and, and well well put together. I just hi- highly recommend it. And I've really been enjoying these movies that I've been watching. Many of these films I've already seen. But uh, there was a new film I saw this week as part of uh, uh, that, uh, Here are three that I'm going to report on briefly. I watched Grand Hotel from 1932. Uh, King Kong from 1933. And then Duck Soup also from 1933. So Grand Hotel was the one of these three that I had never seen before. It's, uh, it's a, a drama uh, set shockingly in in a hotel. It's, it's, it's the Grand Hotel in Berlin. This is based on a play, but it uh, it stars one of the, the a couple things that are, I guess that are noteworthy about this film, at least that are mentioned in the book and that I I, you know, I thought too after definitely after watching it. But it it's got this interweaving storyline, which is something, which is the, which is a thing we see in a, in a lot of films, of course. But I think this was it was somewhat different back in the day when this came out, and also because of these intersecting storylines, it, it sh- this film shared top billing with five of five really big stars back in the day of MGM. So rather than giving one of them top billing, it gave five five these five stars all top billing. So it was John Barrymore, Lionel Barrymore, Joan Crawford, uh, Greta Garbo, and Wallace Beery. And these storylines, again, they all they all intersect. Greta Garbo uses her famous I want to be alone line. <laughs> I think this is the first film that she uses it in. And and it's 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 great. And uh, the acting is 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 really remarkable, and I I just, I, I thought Grand Hotel was was worthy of, of of this list, and I was really happy to watch it. I was also really enjoyed watching King Kong again. This 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 film is so is so remarkable. Uh, I I'll, anytime it's on TCM and I've got and I've got the time, I'll, I'll 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 watch it because it's just one that I really I just really love. One of the things I think in particular about it are just are the special effects uh, done by Willis O'Brien. Willis O'Brien just was remarkable with the stop motion animation and all sorts of cool camera tricks, which are used throughout this film, and uh, so it's 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 so impressive there's so much emotion sure i might get a little tired of faye screaming at the t- ray screaming at the top of her lungs but uh you know part of it, she, she's got to do it cuz she's got to let these people know where where uh, she is right and then also uh, i mean we talk about horror this 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 giant ape kidnapping you and whatever Um, anyway love 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 King Kong one interesting thing to note about Willis O'Brien I think he really is the the pioneer of of, of movie special effects and in the lobby of Lucasfilm and industrial line magic their special effects arm that they their office building in, in the Presidio in San Francisco in California there is this really great statue of of Willis O'Brien and uh, manipulating the King Kong puppet uh, at the, on the on the little you know recreation of the uh, of the miniature Empire State Building, and I just think it's so cool that they put it there because you know nobody does movie effects better than than Industrial Line Magic, and and for them to to pay. Tribute to where their craft started and, you know, and where they've come from, I, I thought was, was uh, particularly meaningful. All right, and then finally in my TCM Essentials viewing project these last few days has been uh, the Marx Brothers crazy comedy, Duck Soup, again, also from 1933. This stars all four Marx Brothers, um, Zeppo, who was not in all of the films? He went off to become an agent, if I'm if i remember correctly in my reading. But uh, the, all four of them are in this one, and it's it's just zany and, and it's so funny and so politically incorrect and just uh, you know they use they do a lot of these gags that I you know they just had made famous over the years. And as well as there's this mad cat musical number near the end that you, you just, it has to be seen to be believed. So if you've never watched a Marx Brothers film or you need a good laugh, uh, Duck Soup, so good. So those are my TCM essentials for the week. Another cool experience I had that I want to talk to you about was uh, I got to see uh, Walt Disney Animation's 1959 film Sleeping Beauty. On the big screen uh, a few days ago, I belong to the D23 fan club, which is operated by the Walt Disney Company. It's their official fan club, and they do—they provide a lot of cool experiences. If you're—if you're a Disney fan, uh, I'd highly recommend looking into D23 if you haven't. It's uh, D23 is celebrating their 10th year, and so that's pretty cool. But uh, you can go to D23.com again. I'll have links. To this in the in the uh, uh, podcasting notes on the, on my blog, but about I mean it varies year to year, but they 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 offer a, a chance to go see a movie in the main studio theater on the Disney Studios lot in Burbank, California. Maybe I don't know. I mean a handful of times this year they're doing it four times, so once a quarter, but. It is always a high quality experience, and this this one was just no exception. So it's it's a matinee. Typically, it's on a Saturday, so there's no you know there's not a lot of, of the regular employees on the, on the studio lot, and uh, the lot the the lot there is it's really just kind of a magical place for, again for lack of a lack of a better word, but they it's 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 a very controlled experience. You know your names are on on lists, and they really are watching where you're going, and who can blame them? Uh, I just think it's marvelous that they even let you let you know let people on the lot too that aren't you know that aren't vetted employees. Uh, so the, 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 you, you park the car. They've got they 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 typically have you park in what they call the Zorro parking lot. It's a high rise parking lot. But it's, it's, just a, it's just a modern parking lot that was built on a on a place where they used to film the Zorro television series from from the 1950s, where they had you know they were back when most of the studios, including Disney, had their own backlots and they were using and they used them to do a lot of you know their exterior shots for for their film and TV productions. And so you park in the Zoro lot, and then uh, there was, you know, a a, a controlled queue, but they had us check in, and uh, they gave us a, a wristband, and then we were able to walk from the Zorro lot into the center of the studio lot complex, where the studio theater is. Now... Uh, that's always fun. You get to walk underneath the big Walt Disney Company water tower and just see some of the fun buildings and signage and things that they've got, got around. You walk past a couple of the sound stages and it's, there's just, there's a special feeling there because you know that so many cool things were made there. You know, there films like Mary Poppins and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and, uh, not to mention just you know the Mickey the original Mickey Mouse club from the 50s and and just just all this great great history there on the studio lot you get to the center of the complex where this theater is this theater is immediately across from the original animation building now as you as you know Walt Disney built this studio in the late nineteen thirties and early nineteen forties in Burbank, California with money that he uh, got from the success of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which came out in nineteen thirty seven. That was such a runaway hit and that he 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 immediately took the money and, and invested it in to this new studio complex. And and it was all designed, you know, primarily for for Animation production, and you know some of just the all time greatest animated films were were created there, including Sleeping Beauty. So that was one of the things that I just loved about this. Here we're going to see this movie in this lovely state of the art theater that they've got there on the studio lot. They've, they've you know really upgraded the theater, stadium seating, and uh, Dolby stereo and pristine digital production uh, projection, but still. Just knowing that just a few hundred feet away, that's where this film was made. You know, with all all this hand drawn, amazing animation, uh, seeing seeing Sleeping Beauty in such a with such a beautiful print, uh, really was almost like seeing it for the for the first time. And you just know me. I mean, that's what this whole podcast is about. I just go see movies on the big screen, right? So. Uh, it's something that I just adore, but this one just just almost like it was up uh, uh, up a notch. I've always thought that Sleeping Beauty had some, maybe some plot issues or it was just a little slow, but I tell you those all just washed away when I when I was able to just enjoy every frame of that film, magnified on the big screen, seeing with a group of it with an appreciative crowd that was, you know, booing Maleficent and cheering on Philip and the good fairies. And all. I mean, it just it was so fun. They were, everybody was, people were respectful, but but it just made, you know, it's one of those experiences that makes it fun when you're watching, you know, with, an, with a highly appreciative and knowledgeable crowd. And uh, just admiring this artwork so much. I've always loved the art of Ivan Earl, who was the, uh, Basically, the the art director or production designer for this for for this film, and I'll put a link to some of some stuff about him in, in the notes if you're if you're unfamiliar with it. But but uh, his his art is this the art that he he's he, he was quite an amazing artist to begin with, and then the art that it was employed for this film was this interesting combination of a medieval tapestry and mid century modern. All combined to, into this glorious, glorious and very unique looking film. So uh, that was just an A-plus experience. I, I I wish I could have just brought you all down there with me to see Sleeping Beauty on the big screen on the Disney Studio lot. Uh, again, check D23.com. I know that they've got some, they're, do, they're doing some interesting screenings this year they typically try to do so. Sleeping Beauty was celebrating its its 60th anniversary this year, and they typically try to find something that's you know divisible by five <laughs> for their uh, they're going to be screening Indiana Jones: and The Temple of Doom. I believe it's the 35th anniversary of that film, and uh, not my fa- not my favorite, but cool. That they're that they're, they're stretching and doing some different things. Uh, with with uh, with the Lucasfilm catalog, you know, which is which is which is part of Disney. Um, I know in the third quarter, or excuse me, in the fourth quarter this year, I believe that they are screening uh, Pixar's Up, which is celebrating its tenth anniversary this year. Anyway, it's a it's a really wonderful experience and highly recommended for Disney fans. And if you can if you can get down there and. Uh, You can get a ticket, and of course, please feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions about it. Uh, Finally, uh, in our Classic Cinema Corner, I just want to acknowledge the passing of director Stanley Donnan. Uh, Donnan died on February 21st. He, uh, Stanley Donnan was a a choreographer and a director and was one of the creative forces behind... uh, the uh, MGM, the great MGM musical in the 40s and 50s, particularly between the years 1949 and 1959. But uh, he uh, co-directed On the Town with Gene Kelly, and also Singing in the Rain in 1952, which of course is considered by many, including myself, to be the the greatest Hollywood musical ever made. Uh, He also directed Royal Wedding in 1951, starring Fred Astaire with the the movie the whole movie is really fun but it's that one particular scene is where fred astaire is dancing on the ceiling he's in that that room that it's actually it's a rotating room but it's just a wonderful camera trick how how they do it which is just it's it's such a delight he also directed funny face starring fred astaire and audrey hepburn uh, also seven brides with seven brothers from 1954 um, and then he also re- tried to do some light comedies, um, and a thriller, which one of, one of, one of the best films I think he directed was charade in 1963 with Audrey Hepburn and Cary Grant. So, uh, his directorial career, you know, wound down of course, but, but thankfully in 1998, he received an honorary Academy award for his lifetime of work. And, uh, anyway, he... He uh, passed away. I'm excited that Turner Classic Movies is going to be doing a tribute to Stanley Donnan on March 18th on their network. And they're going to be showing... Uh, so they've got some cool programming. So the first they're going to show a, a 2006 interview uh, done with Stanley Donnan and Robert Osborne, you know, former TCM host. And then they've got uh, five films that they're going to show, all, all musicals. So Singing in the Rain... On the town, seven brides for seven brothers, royal wedding, and then an interesting film called It's Always Fair Weather, which uh, isn't necessarily as beloved. It's, it's actually got a little more of a snarky tone than some of these other uh, other musicals, but got some really technical, uh, technically amazing uh, stuff in there. Not to mention some really great performances. It starts Gene Kelly and Cicely. So uh, that one would be one to to uh, you know set your DVRs for on on uh, March 18th for the Stanley Donnan tribute on TCM. Okay, for recommendations, it's just more as uh, just to be uh, made aware of of the the classic film gone with the wind it's going to be on the big screen on on, on various big screens across the u.s uh on four dates so tonight february 28th and march 3rd march 17th and march 18th now this is not a turner classic movies uh part of their big screen classic series uh, this is just for, you know from Warner Brothers and Turner Entertainment celebrating the 80th anniversary of this film. And uh, you can go to fathomevents.com. We' gonna have links to it in, in the podcast notes. But uh, if you've never seen this film on the big screen or if you've ever never seen this film, this could definitely be a, a way a way to check it out. Uh, it's you know, I think is by many it's one of the most revered motion pictures of all time. It stars Clark Gable, Vivian Leigh, Olivia De Havilland, Leslie Howard, and Hattie McDaniel. Uh, this, you know, this is a Civil War epic set of the American South, and uh, you know, as the as the war devastates the South, Scarlett O'Hara discovers, who's played by Vivian Leigh, within herself the ability to protect her family and rebuild her life, and even though she always longs for Ashley who's played by Leslie Howard. Um, she is seemingly unaware that she is already married to the man she really loves, who is Clark Gable, or, you know, AKA Rhett Butler. Uh, it's so melodramatic, you just wanna smack uh, Scarlett O'Hara. She is the most infuriating character ever. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's definitely a, 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 a film of, of, of the time period but still remarkable in its scope, and and seeing it on the big screen is always better than than not. Uh, So check out Gone with the Wind's 80th anniversary on the big screen, again, February 28th, March 3rd, March 17th, and March 18th. Well, that does it for this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Again, links and more information about all the movies discussed in today's podcast can be found in the podcast notes on my blog at moviespastandpresent.com. Hope you have fun at the movies and we'll see you next time.